You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. Hello, how are you today? Doing good? Uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to be with you today, fired up to be with you today. It's always good to be back in Sumner County. The air is just different here. Come on, somebody. And uh, man, look at your neighbor and say, come on. come on. Look at your other neighbor and say, get fired up. And I'm ready to run, so you got to hang with me, all right? Hey, uh, man, I, I uh, am so glad to be with you today. If you got a Bible, flip open to 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, we'll be in verse 1 here in a little bit. Uh, but, man, I love uh, sports. I played basketball and football in high school. I'm a big Tennessee Vol fan. And so, um, yes, I'm not going to drive through the state of South Carolina for the next 10 years. Uh, but I'm happy about last night. Come on now. And, uh, but, but, man, love the Tennessee Vols. And, and maybe, maybe you've got a relationship kind of like this. But, but with my wife, um, man, I, I watch the games, and I go all in with the games, and I'm locked in, I'm zoned in, and, uh, and I'm going crazy on the TV. Uh, but my wife could really care less. Uh, she sits next to me, and she has her iPhone, and she's probably just online shopping uh, the whole time. And so she doesn't really care that much. In high school, uh, she did cheerleading. Uh, we're still debating if that is a sport or not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You, you people, don't, don't get too mad at me. But uh, uh, my, my wife, the truth is, she didn't do cheerleading for the athletics. Uh, she did it just because she wanted to be social, and she wanted to hang out. And uh, growing up, she was with a friend, and she went to a place called D1 Sports Complex in Chattanooga. And she went in to work out. And, and let me just ask today, anybody in the room just love to work out? You just, you just love working out? All right, the next steps area is right here. We will pray over you just for a moment. I mean, never in my life have I loved to work out. You know, like I might love the results, but never in my life have I loved to work out. And uh, man, even when you go to the gym, don't be this person. You know, like the other week I was in the gym or, or a while ago I was in the gym and there was like six open treadmills next to me. And I'm on a treadmill and I'm just kind of jogging. You know, I'm just taking my time, you know, nice and easy. Six open other treadmills and a guy comes and gets on the treadmill right next to me. I wanted to look at him and be like, are you kidding me? And not only did he get on the one next to me, but then he cranked it up about as high as it went and was sprinting and was grunting the whole time, right? And I just had my little jog going on. I'm like, well, you make me feel bad, right? But my wife goes in this place and, and she's on a treadmill and she's running on the treadmill and this, she's got her headphones in and someone else comes in and they get on the treadmill next to her and uh, they begin to try to talk to her or have a conversation with her, but she's really not giving them any time of day. She just has her headphones in and she's really not paying attention. So she gets off the treadmill. She goes to leave D1 Sports Complex and the workers come up to her and they say, hey ma'am, thank you so much for not freaking out uh, when so-and-so was next to you on the treadmill. Thank you for not causing a big scene. Thank you for not going crazy. He never gets that reaction. Well, the reason my wife didn't react is she didn't realize who was next to her on the treadmill. She didn't recognize the person at the time. So I want to show you real quickly, it's the person in the middle who was next to her on the treadmill that day. Peyton Manning. It was Peyton Manning. Listen, I found this out way too long later in, in, the, in the time of our engagement or else it might have been over. Like, that's a deal breaker. It's Peyton Manning. Now, here's the reality. She probably would have recognized Peyton Manning if he was wearing Tennessee or, or watching TV and he's playing for the Colts or the Broncos. But in that moment, she didn't recognize him in that moment. And today, I want to show you a passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19 where we find the prophet Elijah, but the truth is, in these verses, we probably see a prophet Elijah that we really don't recognize, or we really don't think of Elijah in this way, or we really would never see Elijah in this way. And let me give you a little context and background. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you have Elijah on Mount Carmel. 
And Elijah's on Mount Carmel, and it's Elijah against 450 prophets of Baal. And basically what they say is, hey, let's have a showdown. Let's figure out whose God is the real God. And so Elijah says, hey, you guys, call upon your God and, and see if your God will bring fire down from heaven. And then after you guys, I'll call upon my God and see if he'll bring fire down from heaven. And whosoever God brings fire down from heaven is the true God and is the real God. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they begin to cry out. They begin to call upon their God and nothing's happening. And Elijah's mocking them. He's saying, hey, shout a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping and nothing happens. Well, then Elijah's so bold that he says, hey, bring some water and dump it on my altar. And they dump water on his altar. And then he cries out and says, Lord, today, let them know that you are God and I'm your servant. And in that moment, this is this incredible moment on Mount Carmel where fire falls down from heaven and the people recognize and they see, man, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And later in the passage of scripture, later in the, in the chapter, Elijah even is praying for rain and he's on his knees and he's praying for rain. And so he's sending his servant back and forth to look for clouds. He did it seven times. Finally, the seventh time, the servant says, hey, there's a cloud about as small as a hand. And Elijah says, rain is coming. So in chapter 18, we see an Elijah that has bold faith. We see an Elijah that stands for God against all else. We see an Elijah that, man, he's got such strong faith that you're like, man, how could I ever stand like Elijah in that moment? And we see Elijah, bold, strong man of God, strong man of faith. But in chapter 19, we find Elijah, what we'll read here in just a moment, and he's under a broom tree. And now Elijah in chapter 19 is afraid and he's fearful, and he's sitting under what the scripture says is a broom tree. And he's saying, Lord, take my life. I don't want to do this any longer. And he's afraid. See, this morning, I want to preach to you a message called From the Mountain to the Broom Tree. From the Mountain to the Broom Tree. And what strikes me is how quickly it changed for Elijah. How Elijah was on the mountain, bold man of God, bold man of faith, to then chapter 19, he's afraid, he's hiding, he's scared, he's under a broom tree. But what I want you to see today, the beauty in all of this, I think, is this, that you and I have a God, that the same God is with us when we're bold on the mountain as when we're scared and afraid under a broom tree. The same God will, will sustain us on the mountain when we're bold, stepping out in faith, will sustain us when we're afraid and we're ready to give up and we're ready to give in and we're ready to throw in the towel. Like the beauty is that God is with us when we're bold in faith and he's with us when we're frail human beings afraid and scared to do what's next. Say, so Sam, what happened to Elijah? I'm gonna show you a few things here in a moment, but let me just throw some out real quickly and then we'll look at how God ministers to each. Number one, I think Elijah is just physically drained. I think physically he's just tired. I mean, his body's tired. He needs rest. He needs sleep. He needs time to just rest and recoup and get back to himself. Number two, I'd say, man, he's just spiritually drained. Like he's just poured out and poured out and poured out. And so now he's just drained spiritually and he needs to be filled back up and needs spiritual renewal back in his life. I would say number three that we'll see here in just a moment, that he's allowed the voice of Jezebel to creep in his life and become louder than the voice of God in his life. And then number four, that he, now he's running away when he could be entering into God's presence. Look with me at verse one in chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything 
that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah, look at this, became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. I want you to think about this this morning. What did Elijah need first? Man, he needed physical rest. Look at verse 5 again. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. I don't want you to miss this this morning. God will minister to our physical needs as he does our spiritual needs as well. Elijah lays down and he rests and he sleeps and God sends an angel and he wakes him up. And then when he wakes up, he's got some fresh bread and some water to eat. But then don't miss that God lets him go back to sleep. And then he sends another angel to wake him up again later. Now today, man, I'm all about go, 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 go. Like I want to run, I want to work, I want to get after it. I want to go as hard as we can, as fast as we can, all that we can. But I also don't want us to neglect that some of you may not be functioning the way that you should function or could function because you're not physically resting your body as God has called you to rest your body. You know, it's interesting. We need to remind ourselves that God is the one who invented the Sabbath. He said, work six and rest one. Work six and then for one day you get all away. You get away from your vocation. You get away from your calling. You get away from your work and you, recu- you rest, you recoup. You, you, know, you get uh, refreshed in that moment so that you can do what he's called you to do longer and farther and what he's called you to do. Man, the Sabbath can be a hard thing for us to think about. You know, I want you to think about this this morning. Someone said this to me and I hadn't been able to get out of my head in a while. That, you know, the, the Sabbath is a Ten Commandment. And the Ten Commandment, another Ten Commandment, let's just take this, would be don't commit adultery. All of us in this room would probably say, Sam, if you commit adultery, we all agree that there's going to be consequences if someone commits adultery. But the truth is, when it comes to breaking the Sabbath, we don't always look at it as if there'll be consequences with the Sabbath as well. But they're in the same list of things. And God is saying, I want you to work, and then I want you to rest. And if you break that, there'll be consequences. You'll work yourself to death. You'll physically be stressed. You'll physically be tired. Set aside time to rest. Now, I know today you're like, Sam, I don't have time to rest. I feel you. We, we just had a baby. I don't even know what the word sleep is. What is sleep? But, but all of us got to find the rhythms in our life to set aside to rest so we can be all that God has called us to be. You know, um, I've got a buddy in West Tennessee, and his name's Ryan Dyer. And I went duck hunting with Ryan a while back, and, and uh, Ryan owns a restaurant called Mallard's in Huntington, Tennessee. And Ryan and I were in a duck blind, and Ryan's just a big old country boy, I mean, big dude in a duck blind. And, and Ryan begins to tell me in this duck blind how God has changed his life, how he had an encounter with Jesus, and literally, we're in this duck blind, and, and Ryan just starts crying, this big old country boy crying, telling me how God has changed his life. And then he told me, he said, hey, since I've been changed by God, since I had that encounter with God, I decided I'm going to change the way I do my business. 
And he said, as a restaurant, we're no longer open every day of the week. We're closed on Sunday. And so, so we're closed one day of the week. And he said, yeah, I was afraid. Yeah, I didn't know how it would work out. He said, but God has blessed it. And we've got more business than we know what to do with. I share that with you just to share with you because all of you may know of Chick-fil-A, but probably many of you don't know my buddy named Ryan Dyer. And, and I want you to think about this morning. Uh, do we really trust and do we really have faith that God can do more with our six than we can do with our seven? Uh, similar to the tithe last week, do we really believe that God can do more with our 90% than we can do with our 100%? And as we trust him, I believe God will bless it. And so Elijah is getting physical rest. Let's look at what next. He needed spiritual renewal. Look at verse 8. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read that verse, I thought, what kind of bread is my brother eating? He ate the bread and then walked 40 days and 40 nights. Carabas ain't getting it done for me, you know? But, but he goes and he leaves. So, so think about this picture. Physically, he's attended to. He gets bread, he gets water, he gets sleep. Then he gets up and he goes on a 40-day journey without it. To me, that's symbolic of now he's going on a fast. And you say, Sam, what is a fast? Man, it's when we give up, typically according to the Bible, food, and then we try to feast on the things of God. And we'll see here in a moment, Elijah still doesn't have it all figured out. Elijah still has the wrong answers, but he's giving something up in this moment. And, and what I would encourage you today, some of you are saying, Sam, I'm spiritually drained. <laughs> Sam, Sam I, I need a spiritual breakthrough. Sam, I don't feel like I have anything left in me. Man, I would encourage you, set aside a lunch or set aside something, set aside some periods in your life to say, I'm gonna give up this food and in return, I'm gonna ask God to give me something. I'm gonna give up this and I'm gonna call upon God to give me that breakthrough, to fill me back up, to refresh me. You see fasting all throughout the Bible. See Nehemiah do it, you see Esther do it, you see Jesus do it in the wilderness, see it all throughout the Bible. So it should be a practice as believers for us too. But then think about this too, what, what I would tell you, man, if you're struggling spiritually and you feel like your spirit needs to be renewed, you just feel drained this morning. You're like saying, man, I, I don't sing the songs like I used to. I don't get in my Bible like I used to. I just feel tired all the time. It just doesn't seem as good to me as it, as it used to. Man, I, I would tell you a few things. I, I would say confess any sin to God. Get with God and just confess any sin that might be in your life. I would tell you to be open with God. Think about the prophet Elijah. He's literally telling God he doesn't want to live any longer. Be open with God. And I think sometimes we think we got to stop our dialogue with God because we don't want to be open and tell God where we're really at when he already knows where we're really at. So just go ahead and tell him where you're at. Don't stop talking with him. Tell him where you're at. Communicate with him. I would tell you to fast and pray. And I'd tell you to feast on the things of God. Man, get in his word more than you ever have. Spend time praying more than you ever had. Pull out your phone and turn on Spotify and hit that worship music and let it just play over your life over and over and over again so that you can be filled by, back up by the things of God. But, but I want you to look at this too. It says he's going to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Say, so Sam, that's great. What, what does that mean today? What does that have any significance in my life? Some disagree, but many scholars believe that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are used interchangeably, and they both mean the mountain of God. So many believe that he's going to Mount Sinai, which is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. Now, he's the prophet Elijah, so he would know where he's going. He would know what had taken place on that mountain. And I want you to think about this for a moment this morning. It's almost like he's going back to a place where he knows God has moved before. It's almost like he's going back to a place where he knows that God's presence has been before. 
It's almost like he's going back to a moment where he knows God has showed up before. Now, don't miss this this morning. Man, man, some of you today, you're under the broom tree, and you're laying over here, and you've got all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of concerns circling through your mind, and you're thinking things like, man, does God really care about me? When you feel like you're knocking, hey, God, where are you? Where are you at? That was awesome. I love that bark right there. I couldn't ignore it. I got ADD, WYZ, right? <laughs> you can tell, y'all are like, quit pacing so much. And, but, but you know, Elijah's down here, you know, think about it. Some of us in here today are thinking, God, are you going to bring a breakthrough in my life? God, are you going to leave me here? And I want to encourage you with this this morning. Sometimes you got to get up from that place and you got to say, God, I, I don't know if you care about me in this moment. I'm questioning it, but God, I'm going back to a moment where I had a mountain and I know you cared about me. God, right now, I, I don't know what your plan is and I don't know how a breakthrough is going to come, but I'm going back to a mountain where I know that you broke through before. I'm going back to a place where I know that you moved before. I'm going back to a place where I've tasted your presence and tasted that you are good before. And so in that moment, I'm going back so that then I can go forward. So often in my life, if I'll go back to some previous chapters in my life, I'll be able to see, hey, God came through in this moment, this moment, this moment, and this moment. So why wouldn't he come through in this moment? And some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Sam, I know God's moved here, 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 and here, but I just don't know. I know he moved in all these other chapters, but I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't either. But here's what I know it'll all work out. And if it's not all worked out, guess what? The story's not over. The story's not over. Because God's going to work it out. God's going to sustain you. God's going to have that breakthrough. God's going to have that moment in your life. And sometimes we've got to go back to those moments when we are in the unknown and the unseen to where we know God has been seen and God has moved. But number three, look at this today. Not only that, but he needs the voice of God back in his life. <laughs> Look at verse 9. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love God? I mean, he just asked, What are you doing here, Elijah? Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. He's not the only one left, but he feels alone. They just had revival in chapter 18. In just a moment, he'll go call Elisha. So he's not alone, he just feels alone. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. Man, I don't know about you, but at times in my life, I need God to come in and say, hey, Sam, what are you doing here? And then I need God to lay out the point blank, simple step, go stand in my presence. I don't want you to miss why he fled. Go back to verse two. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time Tomorrow, verse 3, then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. The voice of Jezebel 
is what made him run away. The voice of Jezebel is what made him afraid. The voice of Jezebel had become louder than the voice of God in his life so much that he ran away and was afraid and wanting to die. Now today, here's what I know in a room this big and people online, here's what I know today. That this voice of Jezebel, just throw it in there and call it the voice of the enemy. It's real. And it happens in our lives. And the truth is, some of you today are hearing the voice of the enemy tell you that you are not loved. You're hearing the voice of the enemy tell you that you're worthless. You're hearing the voice of the enemy tell you that no one cares about you. You're hearing the voice of the enemy tell you that nobody has a plan for your life or a purpose for your life. You're hearing the voice of the enemy tell you that, that your life is meaningless, worthless, and just give up, give in. You know, Katie and I, like I told you, we just had a baby, and I'll show you a picture of them real quickly. Um, there, there's Katie and there's Everett Glenn. And uh, Everett Glenn Landreth is his name. It was a family name from my grandfather, and he's Glenn Everett Ramsey, and so we switched it, and he's Everett Glenn Landreth. My grandfather's Glenn with one end, and so that's what we were planning to do, to call him Everett Glenn with one end, and, and, and uh, Everett Glenn with one end Landreth. And so we go to have the baby, which my Lord, look, ain't nobody ever in my life prepared me for a labor and delivery room, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, where was this in school? Next thing I know, the doctor was like, you're on the team. Grab a leg, you know, yell push. I'm like, I've seen Grey's Anatomy, but I don't know what to do. And so, so before all that, though, the doctors come in and they hand over the papers, you know, for the birth certificate and you fill it out. So my mother-in-law was in the room at the time and I thought, hey, my mother-in-law's in the room. I'm going to let her fill out this paperwork because if someone messes it up, I'd rather it be my mother-in-law than me. So she fills it out. The baby comes. The next day they bring us the birth certificate. And on the birth certificate, we look down at it and it says Everett Glenn with two N's, Landreth. It's supposed to be one N. We kept thinking, how, how did that happen? Well, my mother-in-law somehow had put um, two N's when she was writing it. So I told Katie, I said, great, best parents of the world. We can't even spell her name son right. You know, like, congrats, parents of the year. And what I found out, though, is that it, it, it's hard to actually change the name. Like, like, you can't just say, hey, this is the wrong name, let's change it. Like, they require identification. They require certain paperwork to be filled out. And then not just anybody can change it. It can only be me or Katie. Now, one day on his own, he could change it later on once he's adult. But right now, nobody can change it but us. We have the power to change it, and no one else can change it but us. So whenever it grows up and he goes to school, people can call him what he wants. They can call him what they want. They can be mean to him. They can throw names around. They can throw insults around. But that doesn't matter because they don't have the right to name him and they don't have the right to change his name. Now, now listen to me this morning. If you are a son or a daughter of God, means you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are a son or a daughter of God. So let the enemy call you whatever he wants to call you. Let the world call you whatever they want to call you. You already have a name, and it's a son or a daughter of God. He's the only one that has the right to name you. He's the only one that has the right to call you. He's your creator. He breathed life into you, and it's already been signed, sealed, and delivered, and nobody else can change it. And not only does he tell you whose you are, but he tells you who you are. So when the enemy comes at you and says, hey, you're not loved, you say, whoa, my God loves me. My Father loves me. I know that he loves me. He loves me so much he went to the cross for me and his blood streamed down for me. So I know that I'm loved. When someone tells you that nobody cares about you, you look back at him and say, I know that my Father knows the number of hairs on my head and he cares for me. 
When the enemy says that, hey, your life is pointless, your life is meaningless, you look back and say, no, I've got a father who's got a purpose for my life, a meaning for my life. He's got a calling on my life. Man, anybody glad about the voice of God in their life? Anybody glad about how, who God calls you and who God tells you who you are? Man, I'm so glad that I don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy come in and out. I can say, I know who I am, and I know who he says that I am. And so we don't have to run in fear like Elijah did. He can just go back and say, my father's voice, don't miss this, however loud that Jezebel voice is, however loud that voice of the enemy is, God's voice is louder. And God's voice has more power and more weight. And one day God's voice will end it all. Be God's voice. And at the name of Jesus, demons run and tremble. That's your father. So let those voices come in, but let them go right back out and let the truth invade. I want you to think about this this morning, though. Look at it, number four. Enter into God's presence. See, Elijah has fleed. He's afraid he's under the broom tree when he could have just gone back to God's presence. And look at verse 11 here. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah still has the wrong answer, but look at verse 14. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you're to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You're to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abul, Mahola, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah steps out in the Lord's presence, and the wind comes by, the earthquake comes by, the fire comes by. It's like he's seeing the power and the might of the Lord in that moment. But then God speaks to him in a whisper. When I read that, it's almost like Elijah couldn't take anything more than a whisper. Too much might have broke him, and he had to lean in, and God speaks to him in a whisper. And he asks him the same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives another excuse, and then I love what God does. He basically just goes, he says it without saying it. Elijah, I'm tired of listening to it. Here's what you are to do. And here's what we know from the rest of the story. Elijah comes off that mountain, and he does as God commanded him to, and he gets back to work. And so Elijah goes from the broom tree back into what God had called him to do. Back into what God had called him to do. You know, my wife and I, we've been married about three years, and... Uh, I call her redneck bougie because she's redneck, but she likes nice things. And she's from East Tennessee, and she's the type that, uh, man, she'll, she'll make you cornbread and sweet tea, but in the same sentence, if you cross her, she'll dump that cornbread out, chase you around the house, and beat you with that pan, right? <laughs> and me and my wife were dating, and, um, you know, in dating, we had some mountaintop experience, and we had some broom tree experiences. Some mountaintop moments and some broom tree moments. And one day, we were at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we were having a broom tree moment. 
And we got to arguing about something and going back and forth. And, and I don't know what. It probably was I was right and she was wrong because that's normally what happens. <laughs> She'll be at the next service. I can say it at, at these two. And so, uh, but we get to arguing. And so much so that I'd take her up back up to her car and she jumps out of her car and she gets in her car and we're about to just go our separate ways. And then something just kind of came over to me and I just thought, man, I, I don't want to leave like this. Like we need to get along. We need to fix this. And so I'm parked behind her. She's on a hill and I just said, hey, hey, come here. So she's upset and she's still frustrated and we've been fighting. And so she hops out of her car and when she hops out of her car, she hops out so upset that she forgot to put the car in park. We're on a hill. And so I just began to watch her car just begin to come right at me and her stand next, just like, what's going to happen? And that car slid down that hill and went boom, right into my truck. And she starts crying and she starts bawling and I get out of the car and I just said, hey, we're over, we're done. You hit my truck and you don't know who Peyton Manning is. This is it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, in that moment, I said, hey, come here, come here. It's okay. Everything's all right. It's just a truck. It's not that big a deal. It'll all be okay. And I gave her a hug and, and it'll be okay. And it'll all work out. And we got the cars fixed and we got in her car and she looks at me and she goes, hey, would you call my mom and tell her what happened? And I looked at her and said, you hit me. Why am I calling your mom? She said, if you call her, she won't be as mad at you as she will be at me. So I took the phone, I dialed it, and I said, hey, Shannon, it's her mom's name. I said, hey, we've had a two-car accident in an empty parking lot. One is your wife's car, one is my car. I'll explain later. Everybody's okay. And we get to her house, and I still remember her dad was, was, was not happy at all. We got out of the car. Her dad was so mad, he didn't say a word. He just got in her car, and he took the gear, and he put it in park, and he just looked at us without cracking a smile, and he goes, that's how you do it. And then he got out and he jumped on the lawnmower and I'm like, I'm about to die. Like, this is it. And, uh, but we hung out that day and everything was fine. And I tell you that story today to tell you this, that, that some of us in life, man, we've had our mountaintop moments, but the truth is we've been banged up a little bit. We got some bumps in our fender and our bumper and we've got some, some, some moments where we feel broken and we're just crying and we don't know what to do and we don't know where to go. See, man, if it can happen to the prophet Elijah, don't think it can't happen to you. The prophet Elijah saw fire fall down from heaven, and the next moment he doesn't want to go any further. And some of us today, the truth is, man, we just feel broken. We just feel overwhelmed with the weights and the stresses and the worries and the burdens of life. And we just feel like it's just crushing down upon us and crushing on us. And I think some of us today think, Sam, I can't go to God like this. If I cry out to my father like this, what will he say? What will he think? Oh, well, don't miss the beauty of Elijah. It's one moment. He's bold in the faith. The next minute, he's crying out, Lord, take my life. But the beauty of it is God was on the mountain and God was under the broom tree. He was in both places just as strong. His presence was in both moments. And what's so beautiful is you can be bold in the faith and you can be scared in the faith. But if you call upon God, he's with you. He's with you. And just as I told her, hey, come here. We wrap you up. It's all going to be okay. That's what your heavenly father will do to you today. Hey, just as I restored Elijah, I'll restore you. Just as I gave him physical rest and spiritual renewal and I let my voice get in his life and I let him enter in my presence, that's what I'll do for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes all over this room? 
See, I don't know how you came into this room today. I don't know what you've been facing. I don't know what you're up against. I would bet that in a room this large and with people online, that someone in here has a suicide letter at home. And I want you to hear me today. Go home and throw that letter away. Don't throw your life away. God's not done with you. And I want to tell you, wherever you're at, maybe someone's struggling with depression. Maybe someone's struggling with anxiety. Maybe someone's struggling with giving up. Maybe someone doesn't feel like going anymore. And I just want to tell you, just like Elijah, call upon God. And here in a moment, after I pray, the next steps area is to my left. There'll be people who can pray for you, who will pray with you. Just enter into his presence today. And say, I need this prayer over my life. And then right where you're at, all over this room, without anybody moving, looking up, I'm going to ask you just to open your hands. Just in a posture, open your hands right in front of you, all over this room. And in your heart, in your mind, just place them in front of you, open-handed. Would you just say, God, I'm giving you anything that's weighing me down today. God, I'm giving you anything that is burdening me today. God, I'm giving you anything that's stressing me out today. God, I'm giving you anything that's causing me to feel like I can't go anymore. And then would you just thank him? Thank you, Jesus, that you're with me in the hard places as much as the good places. Thank you, Jesus.